He was a morbidly obese surgeon destined for an operating table and an early death. Now he's a rebel MD who is fabulously fit and fighting to make America healthy again. This is Stay Off My Operating Table with Dr. Philip Ovedia. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us today at the Stay Off My Operating Table podcast with Dr. Philip Ovedia. Um, we are joined today by Bitten Johnson. I believe this is our first guest we've ever had from Sweden, or at least who's recording in Sweden during the podcast. So, Phil, uh, give us a quick introduction, and let's uh, let's find out what this girl's working on. Definitely, and uh, yeah, I do believe that uh, Bitten, you are our first from Sweden. Um, really honored to have you on. Uh, Bitten has been at the forefront of. Uh, the food addiction uh, issue uh, now for uh, many, many years. And uh, I know this is a topic that we sort of touched on a little bit with some other guests and had some discussions, but now we can really get into the uh, get into it uh, with Bidden. She truly is one of the world's experts on this. So um, with that, Bidden, if you wouldn't mind um, introducing yourself, giving a little bit of your background to our audience. Great. Thank you very much. I'm a nurse, uh, you know, since 1973. And uh, intern, uh, internal medicine was my speciality when I worked in the hospital and so forth. Um, and um, I was a very happy, lucky go bird that started smoking because I wanted to lose weight when I was 19 as an appetite suppressor. The big girls taught us that we were in nursing school. We always dieted, dieted, dieted and binged and dieted. But, you know, we didn't know anything else. But I started smoking and I love smoking. And then we went out dancing and we started drinking and I love drinking more than anything. I thought, why haven't I done this before? I was 19. And by the to make a long story short, when I was 33, my ex-husband, American, we lived in California. We lived in Redding, California. Uh, he forced me into treatment by threatening me to tell the hospital I worked as a head nurse that I was an alcoholic. And of course, you don't want them to know that. So I said, OK, I'll go to rehab. And I thought, you know, I'd be there a few weeks and it's going to be nice to relax and sort of. But boy, I didn't know what I was got into. I got into one of the best treatment centers in the world, Capistrano by the Sea in California. And I hated it because I was so filled with shame. And I thought, I can't be an alcoholic. I mean, that's sick. Uh, but, you know, they convinced me by teaching me addiction medicine and neuroscience. That's what got me understanding what it was. So I've been in love with addiction medicine since. And I started training. Never went back to nursing in that way. Uh, and I started to learn and read and train and do anything addiction medicine. And I worked with alcoholics, pill addicts, and drug addicts in, you know, the traditional rehab. And then in 92, I met Terence Gorsky, Synapse Corporation. Uh, and he was the world leader of uh, relapse prevention. And I went to the training because I wanted to help all the alcoholics I was working with. Because they went to four weeks of rehab, went out, went back to drinking. And we didn't understand how they could do that after a good treatment. So when I was listening to Terry for two days here in a seminar in Sweden, he started talking about warning signs and hidden warning signs 
you know, you sit there and think, I'm learning so I can teach the clients. And suddenly it dawns on you, oh, Jesus, I do that. Check. Wow. <laughs> Check. Check. It was a 37-point uh, long warning sign list. And I had a very good sobriety. You know, I went to support meetings. Uh, but I, I was a very highly stressed person. I worked as a program director at the treatment center. Loads of pressure to get the um, census up all the time from the owners. And, you know, so it, it was really tough. And I'm a high-strung, speed-freak person. That's my personality. <laughs> I talk fast. I walk fast. Everything goes fast. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's when it dawned on me that something has to happen. And then he says like this, you know, that uh, people that keep smoking, uh, recovering alcoholics and drug addicts, if they keep smoking, drinking loads of coffee and eating junk food, he mentioned those three things. They have a much higher risk to relapse. And as smoking, nurse, coffee, and junk food. Yeah. Even yeah. in recovering alcoholics. Yes, and drug addicts. Alcoholics and drug addicts. Yeah, much higher risk. And he talked about a study that showed that uh, after two years, people that did that, 86% had relapsed. Whereas another group, which they taught them healthy living, good food, quit smoking, quit or cut down on coffee, 28% had relapsed. So 86 wow. and 26. And, you know, this is 92 in February. And I was just incredible taken. And I thought, how is this connected? So, uh, you know, uh, I'm driving home and I called Terry at the hotel and said, whatever going to happen, I'm going to come and train with you. I have to train with you. So then I went to Chicago and did a lot of his trainings uh, several times. And, of course, the day after I quit smoking, like the speed freak I am, I, I knew nothing about what's going to happen. So I thought, tomorrow I quit smoking and I cut down on coffee. And then I had another thought. Thank God I don't eat junk food. Because, you know, to me, junk food as a Swede, that was only McDonald's. It wasn't sweet. It wasn't ice cream and chocolate and stuff. That's not junk food. Only McDonald's. Oh. So talk about twisted thinking and not understanding how twisted my thinking was at that time. But that's what I was taught over in Sweden. So when I quit smoking, you can imagine, <laughs> I had chocolate sauce up to my ears. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you guys, I couldn't stop. I could not, every day I said, because I started gaining weight and I didn't have a weight problem before that. So I thought, what's wrong? Well, I know you gain a few kilos when you quit smoking, but I passed that limit and I kept gaining. So then, you know, I said, in the morning, I said, tonight I'm not going to eat chocolate and ice cream. And I mean, we're talking, you know, huge amounts. It increased. Every evening I ate more chocolate because it was my last evening eating chocolate, right? Oh. Tomorrow I'm going to quit. And then the next evening I ate even more. And I said, but only today. I'm going to quit on Monday and so on. And then I worked with this American lady. She worked for Parkside Medical Corporation, huge corporation that had treatment centers all over U.S., she was over in Sweden training us because I'd moved back to Sweden then. 
So, and I said to her, come on, what's wrong with me? I could quit alcohol. You know, I've been sober since 1985 and I could quit nicotine. I've been sober uh, without that for almost a year. How come I can't quit sugar and ice cream, which was my favorite drug? And she said to me, you might be a food addict. And I almost fell backwards and never heard the terminology. And I stared at her. What is a food addict? And by the way, I don't want to be a food addict. <laughs> you know. But she convinced me by talking to me, pointing out the loss of control, all the same, exactly same symptoms as when I was drinking. I was hiding. I was lying. I was sneaking. I was, you know, denying, fooling myself. Everything was there. So in October of 1993, I got the opportunity to go to a Lutheran General Hospital in Chicago and train with the founders of using the same model for alcohol, pills, and drugs on food addicts. So that's how my story started, you guys. And then, you know, the rest is just a story, I almost said. But that's how I got into this. So I didn't choose it. It chose me, is what I say. And, you know, I love every minute of it. But what I've done through the years is I've developed the model. So today I call myself, uh, I say, I have the illness of addiction. My outlets were alcohol, nicotine, sugar, because uh, it is the psychoactive substance that makes you addicted. I'm not a food addict. I never binge on boiled cod or cucumbers. Oh, wow. So, you know, that's one of the first questions I think that always comes up when you bring up food addiction to people. And they'll say something along the lines of, well, you know, alcohol isn't essential to life. Tobacco isn't essential to life. You know, gambling isn't essential to life. All these things that people become addicted to, you know, aren't essential to life. But food is essential to life. And so how do we kind of define you know, when you've become addicted to food and then the related part of it, which is, I think what you were just touching on is, you know, is it all food or is it just certain components of food that we get addicted to? Well, you have to understand the progression of addiction, food addiction, sugar addiction. And that is, you know, uh, I do a diagnostic uh, interview on people which have developed the instrument sugar where I can uh, map a whole person's life from the first symptom of addiction until today. And usually they come to us when they are 40, 50, 60 years old. So they have had a battle of 30, 40 years with food addiction. And there is no other uh, illness that has so many diagnoses, you know, or labels like, you know, uh, binging, bulimia, anorexia, restriction, uh, you know, binge overeating, overeating, volume eating. I could go on and on. I usually present a long list of all those names. And so many people are trained in one part of seeing all these. They don't see the whole picture. So what is going on? I don't work with eating disorders, you know, because I always make sure that I diagnose somebody. If it is addiction, the restriction, the bulimia, the purging, the volume eating is a process addiction 
which is a consequence of the sugar addiction in the brain, because you're trying to control it, you're trying to diet. So many people said to me, yeah, but I'm a food addict, I can overeat anything. And I said, of course you can, because your reward center is screwed up. Your brain is hampered. Uh, you know, it's r- faulty wired due to the sugar, flour, processed foods that you've been eating for years. So when we look at them, you see that as a kid, you love sugar, you know, you go for the goodies. But when you come up as a teenager, you start gaining weight. And the interesting thing with tofu, since we know that those processed foods and sugars uh, give you insulin swelling, you know, as a doctor, that people can be fat on the inside. So I think that is many times the cause for people trying to starve because, because not everybody will be overweight of the way they're eating. We know that too. They can eat a lot. So in the teenage year, they start dieting. And you also know the biochemistry with dieting, the on-off, high insulin, volatile blood sugar, trying to restrict, and then you eat again, you binge, and so forth. And that is one good way to destroy your metabolic system, right? And your microbiome and your reward center, the neurotransmitters. So now the whole body is in havoc. So then some people, they get high from starving. So they can go into what other people would call anorexia, but I call it restriction, you know, as a process addiction, they get high on starving. I want to, I want to ask you to, to just clarify something. That's the second time you've said that phrase process addiction. Yes. Gambling so, is so they're literally addiction. okay. They're addicted to a particular process. Yes, and you know Gosh. the researchers, the professor Lars Olson and Stefan Brené at Karolinska Institute in Stockholm, where I used to work as a clinical supervisor, they did all the groundbreaking research on game uh, gambling, which they could prove. That when you gamble and you get addicted, you have the same effect on the reward center with the dopamine, uh, you know, all the other neurotransmitters, you get, it plays the same havoc and it creates the same addiction as if you take something. So as an addiction specialist, I talk about intake addiction, things you put in your body, nicotine, alcohol, drugs, food, certain foods. But you also have process addictions. Like some people are addicted to exercise. They get high from that. They get a rush. Um, You know, uh, starving is a process addiction for for the clients that are sugar addiction, you know, from the beginning. Binging is a process addiction. You know, purging is a process addiction. They have many other ways too. You know, I was going to ask you about that because you'd mentioned anorexia and bulimia. And- but I, I don't use, since, you know, that is something that the people in the psychiatric and psychology ward uses, even though I think that they many times have a sugar addict on their hands. Right, right. But they don't have the knowledge and understand how to diagnose it, how it started. So they think it is an emotional, psychological problem. Right. But I am at so many so-called anorectics and bulimics, but I call them, you know, 
overeaters or purging or restriction, just to make sure that I want to tell you that I do only work with addicts. I do. If I were to diagnose somebody coming to me that is anorectic and they're not addicted, I will not work with them. Understood. Do you understand why a difference? Understood. Yeah. Okay. So what we're saying is that that uh, uh, things that present and are currently labeled anorexia and or bulimia. Um, or overeating all every food, which we call volume addiction. Yeah. Th- these, Those- these can be addictions, but are not necessarily physical addictions. All right. Oh, all right. That's that you cleared it up. Thank you. <laughs> I didn't want to throw you off track there, but I, I kind of, I was, I wanted to straighten no, that out uh, in my head. No, no. Uh, you know, they, they could be, of course, uh, they could be harmful use when it comes to sugar, flour, processed food. And, you know, it could be caused by something. So we differ between har- uh, social users, people that have no loss of control, no problem. They can have a glass of wine, nothing happens. They can have a piece of chocolate, cookie, cake, nothing happened. No craving, uh, no loss of control, no negative consequences. We call those social users or jokingly normie. And then you have another group called harmful users. Uh, They are the ones that eat because they're stressed, because they're sad, uh, on on emotions of party style, culture. So here you have to ask, why do you do this? But they don't have the addiction picture. They don't have loss of control like an addict. So with them, you treat the cause, okay? You have to be skilled in, you know, asking the why and looking for why. And then you treat the stress, the emotions, the trauma, the PTSD, whatever caused it. And they are the people you can help moderation therapy. They could improve their food. They don't have to be as strict as a sugar addict. Right. We have to be 100% abstinent if we want to recover. So uh, alcohol, uh, people that drink too much could also have a harmful use and learn to moderate drinking because they weren't alcoholic. Are you with me? I am. Groups? Yeah. Okay. And then we take the third group, which is the only group that I'm interested in, which is addiction. You know, I only want to work with addicts. I think they are the most wonderful people in the world to work with. The other two groups bore me to death. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, but just to dig into that a little bit more. So there are people who are basically physically addicted, biochemically addicted, um, that may not have the emotional uh, underpinnings of that. So, um, because, you know, it. Many of the people, you know, that I work with, um, you know, who and I'm working on the end effects of the addiction, the metabolic health problems that come from that addiction. Uh, But when you get into it, you know, it seems to me that most of them, you know, have an emotional component. Uh, There's a reason that they started overeating uh, or or. Uh, well, maybe as I think through it, uh, I guess maybe that's not exactly true, but that that's really the question. You know, does the the processed food lead to the biochemical addiction and the physical addiction, 
or do most people have an emotional tie to the food that leads them then to overeat and it gets to the point where it becomes harmful? The processed food causes addiction. Addiction is a primary illness, you know, and it starts very early. Three, four years of age is when you diagnose an addict, you can see that the first symptoms comes three, four, five years of age. And, you know, you haven't developed emotional problems or trauma at that age, but you start getting hooked on the drug. And most people become very depressed. Uh, you know, if you look at the symptoms of volatile blood sugar, you see that, you know, the mild thing could be irritation. If you go down the curve, which I teach all my clients, suicidal thoughts are very common in the end, panic, anxiety. I mean, you have very severe symptoms. They are caused by the addiction. They aren't the cause of the addiction. So the whole society, plus the patients themselves, think that they eat for a reason, but they eat for the problems that the sugar causes. So I like to say that I work with teaching professionals and clients how to put the horse in front of the cart and not the other way around. So when would you, people talk, would you explain a couple of would you explain a term real sure. quick because I'm not a medical professional. Sure. Uh you said addiction is a primary disease. Yes. It's not caused by something else. It's an illness in itself. It's caused by a psychoactive substance or a process hitting your reward center. It's not because of a trauma or something that happened to you. But of course, people do experience trauma. But then, okay, okay, I I want to make sure I understand. So, so what you're saying is that a primary disease is something that has a biological root cause. Yes. Yes. Okay. Whereas things like PTSD um, may have a behavioral or a, a not necessarily a biological root cause social social or cultural or something that happened to you a trauma or anything in that way you know and trauma could be in one people's eye very small in another also something uh, you think one person think is not that uh, severe but another person could react severely to that it has to do with your sensitivity uh, you know, the way you raise the bonding, there's so many factors that, I mean, it would take a long time to get sure. into that. But but it's important to understand that addiction is a primary, chronic, progressive, and deadly, if not arrested, illness, but you die of the consequences. So it is a brain illness with physical, psychological, social, and spiritual consequences. Oh, man. We could we could just stop it right now. This is I mean, that's just this is I've got a good friend. Never heard this before. Well, I I don't think I've ever he- heard all the dots, ever seen all the dots connected, heard all the pieces. <laughs> I'm using all the wrong words here. But yeah, I, well, first of all, the idea that addiction is a primary disease, now that I understand what primary disease means. Um and, and you said something else. I wrote this down. You said processed food causes addiction yeah Yeah. what do you think uh, alcoholism is caused by would you be an alcoholic if you never drank Uh, 
Very good point. <laughs> yeah. So along those lines, I guess that becomes the question, you know, does food addiction exist outside of a processed food environment? And, and unfortunately, in our modern environment, you know, that's a, a, a theoretical uh, discussion because no one you know, no one exists outside of a you know, processed food environment these days, I guess, maybe except for some, you know, some of the few ancestral populations that we still have. Uh, right. I guess, theoretically, you know, if would someone or, you know, do the people who have this potential for processed food addiction, um, you know, if they didn't have processed food, um, you know, would they not be addicted? I mean, you kind of said it earlier. No one gets addicted to, you know, boiled cod. No one gets addicted to steak. Um, you know, uh, we only get addicted to processed foods. But it's very interesting to see that, you know, I've had a few clients that grew up in communities, rural communities. They only had, you know, they lived on meat, butter, cheese, veggies potatoes, you know, uh, were part of it, but, you know, not a lot, but they ate very, very good food uh, cooked from things on one ingredient. I say, you know, that's how we should eat in an egg. There's only egg, you know, don't (laughs) mix things. Uh, So, but, you know, uh, when, uh, but they had a grandfather that was an alcoholic or, you know, that it was in the genetic makeup. So, uh, when they are, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old, and they are exposed to sweets, sugars, sugar, remember that this is every flour, flour is sugar, you know, processed food, they are exposed to that, and they go bonkers, and they immediately start losing control and get the craving. And, you know, when you look at the research, Professor Jörgen Engel at Saul Grenska did many years ago about sensitivity, you can see that the person which is born with a genetic sensitivity, which I think is a superpower, Philip, to have a super sensitive brain, but you need to run, you need a driver license on it. So, uh, but, you know, uh, so so when they get exposed to this, you know, they just start wanting more and more. So it is, you know, the site, we have to start understanding how dangerous psychoactive substances is on our brain. So they go for it immediately. And Jürgen Engel showed that, you know, normies, as I call them, the people that doesn't run for the store after one piece of chocolate, they have one piece of chocolate and they're very satisfied and half a glass of wine, they're very satisfied. Nothing happens. There's no hula, you know, and they always there's, are like that. There's no what? Hula, there's no hula? Hula, hula. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, but anyway, what I'm trying to say is that for some people that, creates, you know, an intense experience in their brain. It's physiological. You didn't choose it. Yeah. So this person thinks, oh, yeah, I love this. I want another glass of wine. I want this and that. So they start using this substance more and more. And if you understand, you know, neurotransmitters and you know, synapses and all that in the brain, you know that in the beginning, the brain will upregulate because it tries, 
the brain wants to create homeostasis. So if you flood it with dopamine, it has to make more receptors, right? So it upregulates. Woohoo, more fun. And then we have to have more of the substance. But then you run out of neurotransmitters. Oh, so oh, then I want to, I want to, okay, we've, we've hit another medical <laughs> thing that I don't understand. I've never heard this before. I want to make sure I understand it. Uh, we just take a baseline. You've got X number of dopamine neuro re dopamine receptors in your brain. Yeah. You you flood your system with something that creates, let's call it an excess of dopamine. dopamine. Yes, right. And the brain's response is to create additional dopamine receptors in order to bond to the dopamine, and that leaves you in a state. Balance. It's all in order to create balance. Because and now your brain, brain has a whole lot more dopamine receptors than it did prior to the flood. And now you're in a state where in order to fill them, <laughs> fill them you've got to keep the, you've got to uh, you redo got it. whatever it was and that take flooded more. your system with this excess that created the X. Oh my God. You have so, to take oh, more. So you now, have I to wanna, now I want to now I want to know how you back out of that. How do you get back to normal? Yeah, I tell you how. I tell you why. First of all, when it comes to food addicts, you have to remember that the brain is sixty to seventy percent fat, but it has to be a special fatty acid. You know, so if you think about, you know, it has to be EPA, DHA, animal fat. Uh, you know, you can't have. Um, uh, what do you call it? canola oil in your brain? It's right. not going to work. Uh, but you know, so what's going to happen when you start flooding? Because uh, in order to keep this, you know, going with the neurotransmitters and the receptors, you have to eat more and more or drink yeah. more and more. That's high tolerance. That's what we call it, high tolerance. So gotcha. what's going to happen, you're going to come to a point where you're going to get so sick of everything you eat or drink or so. So the brain say, oh, this is really bad. Now we have to downregulate. So because, you know, you're run out of dopamine, because what does the body make dopamine from? Well, meat is one of the good sources of making dopamine. But your whole, you, have, you have to understand the whole system. With the fatty acid in your neurons, with the microbiome, with how your body will process and break down food so that your intestine can make neurotrans uh, uh, neurotransmitters and, yeah, and produce it. And a person that is, you know, eating like crazy on junk food or drinking, if we use that as a parallel uh, example, they're not going to take good care of their nutrition, right? Or the stomach, the microbiome and so forth. Right. So now the body starts being really, really low energy, really moody, depressed, angry, pain, inflammation. I mean, I could go on and on for an hour about that. Do you understand what I mean? So I, I think I what, get it. Yeah. yeah. So what's going to happen here now is... You don't get a kick. But if you look at the curve Jürgen Engel so beautifully did on this sensitivity chart, you know, the effect goes down over time. The effect of the drug, the hoopla, <laughs> goes down, right? Are you with me? I but think if so. You look, 
But look at craving. That curve goes up. Craving goes up. Oh, yes. Now you're over They're actually the same thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. Now you have craving for cow. Yes. But you don't get any effect even if you eat 40 cakes, right? You just get sick as hell. Then something else kicks in. You, your brain, which now is only a reward center and the reptilian brain, the rest is pretty much shut off. You know, your neocortex, limbic system, prefrontal cortex, it doesn't function well anymore. So what are you going to do? You go into drug-seeking behavior. So what does people do? Now they start drinking on top of this because then you can start all over again. That's why uh, I work with something called addiction interaction disorder. I look at, you know, one illness, many outlets, and how this is connected to each other. So this basically also can explain to you guys why it takes about two years of working intense biochemical repair to heal the brain, to get the mental horsepower back, to get somebody clear in their head, take away the foggy brain before you can start doing therapy on the people that need therapy. But see, we work in the opposite way. We start doing therapy right away when the brain is absolutely foggy and very, very, very low in energy. And then we ask people, why do you eat? Which is the most stupid question you can do to a food addict, sugar addict. You don't ask why when it is a primary illness. You ask, how can I help you? Because there is no why. Because the brain has been overtaken by this monster, which we call the shape-shifting beast. Because, you know, it does shape-shift into starving and (laughs) bulimia and alcohol and God knows what. Screens, social media, that's a big thing now. Well, so, I mean, this is the process of addiction that we have to understand. So if you look at it, you know, kid, sweet tooth, teenager, dieting, older teenager, you know, starving, restricting, then losing control, binging, purging, trying to control, lose weight, and then no more energy, volume eater, become fat. Can you see the picture? I, th- yeah. I think I do. Okay. Yeah, and it's so interesting, you know, the, the addiction interaction, you know, that you've mentioned, because, you know, again, this is something I see all the time, you know, that when we get a hold of people's, uh, you know, when we get them off processed food, you know, how many of them... It, end up cutting back on other things in their lives that they probably didn't really recognize as an addiction. You know, alcohol is one of the common ones. I mean, I, you know, my personal experience is, you know, when I have eliminated processed food from my diet, my drive, my desire for alcohol just kind of went away. And, you know, I I don't think I had any of the, you know, uh, components of alcoholism. I mean, I I was able, you know, I had no trouble moderating my alcohol use. It's just now when I drink alcohol, I just don't really get an effect from it. So I don't really, you know, uh, seek it out anymore. And uh, again, I've seen that in many of my patients as well. Yeah, but this is, uh, I did a small study once on 202 clients that were all diagnosed sugar addicts, right? with all those symptoms I've described, and 74% had pathological 
you know, reactions to alcohol, but they don't drink like alcoholics because food is the main drug for them, right? So, but when they drink, they lose control, even if they drink twice a year. So once they get one drink in, they can't stop it and they get negative consequences. And the definition of addiction is that if you have negative consequences of the substance, you know, and you can't stop, that's addiction, basically, short one. So how how prevalent do we think this food addiction is? Because, you know, again, I deal with what you could say is the end effect of the food addiction, metabolic disease. We know the statistics, you know, show that, you know, nine out of 10 people have some element of metabolic disease. Um, and, you know, again, you, you don't really get metabolic disease if you're not eating processed food. So do we think that all of these people, you know, are basically addicted to processed food? No, I don't think so. But I think most of them have an addiction. If you, if I were to screen them and do my diagnostic interview with them, I would probably see addiction all over the place. But I think also you do have some harmful users that, you know, have, uh, you know, other problems they need to work with, but they are a very small group. Today they are. I think if I look back these 30 years that I've been in this field, uh, it has increased tremendously. I would say that it is scary. And the next generation, you know, I'm 70. So if I look at my, you know, um, I don't have any kids myself. I have lots of nieces and nephews uh, that I uh, am very close to. But if I look at them and even younger, you know, the ones 15, 16, I would say that we are in for a disaster. I think I think it is. And since the energy drinks came together with the processed food and screens and social media, I think we have so many, many, many that it is unbelievable that has foggy brain. And the hard part that I see is that, you know, they all get these diagnoses, uh, all kinds of diagnoses. And here in Sweden, I'm not so sure. I know a little bit about U.S., but here they put them SSRI and SNRI, which is a total, absolutely disaster, uh, you know, that chemical treatment for something that's caused by the energy drinks, the, you know, uh, the, the lack of nutrition in yeah. their brain. And we have another big scare over here, which is veganism. Yeah, you know all the vegans uh, because our brain cannot run on vegan fat. It is made for animal fat, and uh, you could argue to death with these people. Uh, you know, uh, it's we, I, I stopped arguing with them, and many yeah. many years ago, maybe 10, 15 years ago, I said no to treating people that are vegans if they don't change their food because I could never help them. Because all they eat is carbs. How can you do that on a carb-sensitive brain? It doesn't work. Wow. So I don't work with them. I would like to go down a road we don't, we've never gone down on this show before. Okay. Um, you talked about social media, our screens. Mm -hmm. um, I've been aware for quite some time that there that many of the apps that we run on our phones are specifically designed to create a dopamine hit. Mm -hmm. um, they 
many of these social media companies have neuroscientists on staff who explain the yeah. re the the reward behavior that can be programmed into our applications. However, having said that, it never occurred to me that that this could create literally the exact same uh physiological pathology that too much alcohol can create. Am am I am I understanding you right? You really do. And I I said, okay, go ahead and grab 10 young people with their phones, lock them up, take off their phones and you're going to see detox from a detoxing withdrawal from hell, from hell. The, not the metaphorical. You're not talking about metaphorical no, no, addiction. No, 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 you're no, talking no, no, no. literal Yes, yes. Brain uh, screwed upness yes. exactly as if they were alcoholics or drug yes. addicts. Yeah. And the it first time is I the it, same thing. It's yes, the same yes. primary disease. Yes, yes, absolutely. Phil, is it, your brain blown here? The... I'm I'm just <laughs> I mean, I, I you know <laughs> I the, I see it, you know, I have young children um, and, uh, you know, I see the addictive behaviors, you know, uh, in uh, in the kids these days. And uh, so, uh, you know, we had um, uh, 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 Jen Cleveland on, uh, you know, previous episode uh, and she works in a uh, childhood metabolic clinic uh, dealing with childhood, you know, diabetics and um, you know, she was talking about the increase that we are seeing uh, in metabolic disease in these children. And yeah, I think it's related to all of this stuff. You know, they have the processed food addiction. They have the screen addictions. Uh, the screen addictions lead them to be less active. Uh, you know, it, it all. Higher craving, you know, yeah. the drug seeking behavior. Remember yeah. the picture with the, the tolerance, increased tolerance and the craving. So they have to go somewhere. You know, and they start don't start drinking. But you know, uh, everything has to have an app nowadays. And I started noticing this some years ago. Uh, I have an iPhone, and when you have a missed call, it says, you know, call box, a you know, message box. It was a little, you know, that little, yeah, pretty, yeah uh, laying eight. That's the sign. So, in the old days, when you pushed that one, you came immediately to your answering machine. Just some years ago, suddenly it said, do you want to open your you know, answering machine? And I go, what? Do I have to click again? So I have to do one more click, right? And I started asking people, who earns money on the clicks? So if you think about it now, you have to, you have to push, push, click, 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 push, push. So you're more and more spending time on the phone doing all these clickety-click and push, push. And that, I think, is very addictive. So they are made in that way. And you need an app for everything now. Soon you're going to have, I, I got a fit the other day when I needed another app. I don't want all these apps. But, you know, I said, one day you need an app at home that's going to give you permission to go pee. I bet you, you have to log in. Uh, you know, that's <laughs> how crazy this is starting to, to be. But uh, I tell you one thing. Uh, one of the first uh, lessons I had about, uh, you know, this uh, process addiction, I read about it, but I have a good friend. He's a doctor and he's trained 
in U.S. by Patrick Carnes in Sex and Love Addiction. He's certified. Sex and, and Love Addiction. Addiction, yeah. Wow. And he's told his story about his love addiction, you know, falling in love all the time. Creates incredible dopamine rush, I'm telling you. But anyway, uh, so anyone that's fell in love know that. But anyway, so uh, he got really sick in the end with tons of consequences. And the reason I can tell you is because he has talked about this in all the magazines in Sweden. He's written a book. He's very open with this. Uh, so anyway, the, the thing that's interesting in his book, which is only in Swedish, uh, is that when he goes into treatment and they detox him from love addiction, he has all the symptoms a heroin addict has, the pain in the body, the sweating. So, you know, it's really true that process addiction is an addiction. And if you haven't seen it, watch it, you're going to see the same pattern, the same withdrawal, panic, nausea, diarrhea, you know, pain in your body. These are not just psychological responses. These are literally biological responses to withdrawal from whatever the the particular thing that gives you the rush. The dopamine. But you know, it's not only dopamine. Everybody thinks it's all about dopamine, but it has to do with GABA, endorphins. Dopamine, you could see as the conductor doing, you know, keeping the symphony beautiful, but it affects all the other neurotransmitters. You have to understand that too. So it plays havoc with the whole symphony. And also remember what I said about the stomach, you know, like gluten is abrasive. It takes away villi. So you don't have any good nutritional uptake. Your microbiome is screwed up from all the junk food. So, you know, you have, it's like, uh, you know, (laughs) we used to say here, the cat on the rat and the rat on the rope and on and on it goes. So you have to understand. And that's why I created this training, which I call holistic, uh, you know, addiction medicine. And I love that you said, because this is one of my favorite sayings. Traditional medicine is one nail, one pill all the time. One nail, one pill. Yeah. But, you know, (laughs) we have to create. One ill, one pill. Yeah. Yeah. We have to create multidisciplinary teams and we have to connect the dots. That's one of my favorite sayings. Connect the dots. And Philip, I really think it's wonderful uh, to hear you talk about that you work with metabolic health. Because uh, what I'm doing during March, I'm doing a special intense training for the professionals I teach to treat sugar addiction in metabolic health. Because in addiction medicine, nobody teaches metabolic health. And you know what? In addiction medicine, nobody, you know, cares about metabolic health or, you know, they have to marry. So that's my aim to marry those fields. And I've married other fields, you know, orthomolecular medicine, uh, integrative functional medicine, all kinds of areas, because addiction is a very complex, confusing illness, but it affects the whole human being. So you have to connect the dots. You have to create multidisciplinary teams. And that's what I've been doing for years. And I love that. So we have some very, very exciting Uh, lecturers in my HMA training. 
I don't know if you saw the little thing I put out on Twitter on that, but uh, I think this is incredible important that we uh, everybody would should know something about the metabolic health. Every human yeah. being, even if they don't have a symptom, they should know something about it, right? Oh yeah, I mean, certainly. People I mean, say, "What is insulin?" I think, God, have you lived under a rock? <laughs> <laughs> But everybody should know about that. Yeah, no, it's the it's the challenge uh, that we're we're working on every day, you know, to uh, get metabolic health more in the forefront, and and yeah, the relationships with uh, mental health, uh, you know, are becoming clearer and clearer every day. Yes, yes. You know, Chris Palmer's new book is is uh, fabulous on that brain uh, brain energy. I know, I read it. It's here. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. So. Um, yeah. And I've had Georgia Ed in my training for a couple of years, so yeah, yeah Georgia she's part of this. Uh, she's part of this training. What um, it, can we isolate? You know the components of processed food. I mean, is it truly just sugar? Um, you know, other people will talk about the vegetable and the seed oils. Other people will just talk about the lack of nutrients in the food. Um, can we separate out, you know, what is really driving the addiction or is it truly the combination of kind of all of the things that go into processed food that end up leading to it? Well, okay. Uh, my first thought is uh, just give a little example, you know, uh, when you start drinking, you know, if you know alcoholism, and I work with a lot of alcoholics, you know, they keep switching from whiskey to wine because they think that's better. And they keep switching from one to another. Uh, and, you know, <clears throat> that's not going to work, right? But in the same way, drugs and pills and all that. So the thing is that it is uh, any sugar sweetener, any flour, any, you know, thing that becomes sugar in your body very quickly. Uh, processed food is just a combination of several things. Some people think fat is addictive. I don't. Salt, no way. Only if you mix it into something, you know, think eating unsweetened lard for a day. I dare you to do that. Uh, <laughs> nobody can do that or just eat salt one day. No. So uh, then it is the combination. And many years ago, um, I read Kessler's book uh, and the Overeating America, where he talks about how the food companies have specialists that combine flavors, uh, chemicals, uh, you know, molecules, food that is broken down in molecules and all that. And that creates a bliss in your body. And it's also the, the very fast uptake. You know, we know about psychoactive substances, just faster your body can take it up, the more quickly you become addicted, right? Cocaine is one, you know, sugar is one of the worst because when you chew a piece of bread, the, with your uh, amylose, the enzyme in your mouth, it becomes sugar right away in your mouth and goes directly out to your blood. So it's incredible quick. So I would say that you have to understand how it starts. So once the addiction is established, you know, it's going to try to eat everything in sight to get a bliss again. That's how people get so confused about what type of food it is that become you become addicted to. But it starts with what I call sugars, with an S in the end, to talk about all these things that quickly become sugar in your body. Rice, 
you know, any high carbohydrate. And then you have to <clears throat> take the next step and, and think about how has this person eaten for years? Do they have leaking gut syndrome? Will their body, you know, leak things because the villi is broken due to gluten? Will it go quicker out in their system? Uh, we know that in order to produce oxytocin, which is your body's largest relaxation system, both for men and women, it's not a female hormone, which some people think, <clears throat> it's, you need protein and fat in order to build that. So if you live on a lot of carbohydrates, your oxyto oxytocin level will go low. And then in order to get a rise in oxytocin, you need to eat a huge amount of food. You need to extend your stomach. That's when you get a kick of oxytocin. So now you have wow. to start overeating everything. So this is what makes this so complex. Yeah. You I know, exactly what pinpoint do we have? Well, and then I think it is in a way too that if I look at the clients I work with, we have basically two types. We have what I call myself the hardcore addict, chocolate and ice cream. Bread, pasta, pizza, never done anything for me. Nothing happens. No fun. Just stuffed. You know, then we have the people that are so incredible addicted to flour, to bread, to pasta. They are much sicker. They are much harder to detox. They are much harder to keep abstinent. They relapse much easier. I think there are several reasons underlying that when you think biochemically. So this is probably very confusing in some people. Well, I don't like chocolate, but give me bread. But they're both sugar addicts. Yeah. So uh, you can't uh, you can't only you know you have to understand the, the the layers. That's why I call this illness. Like one of my counselors said, the shape shifting beast, because it is so complex and it does change all the time, and get new layers and new ways of you know triggering the addiction with all kinds of stuff once it is in place. But I think that sugar, flour, and processed food is one of the most highly addictive, most dangerous psychoactive substances we have in society today because it is the gateway drug into everything else. And it's highly accessible. Think about it. Early exposure, we give babies this stuff. Yeah. Nobody give a baby cocaine unless you're totally crazy. But I mean, you know, and then the constant exposure. And Paul Early, one of my favorite addiction doctors, he teaches in my faculty too. Uh, you know, he taught me, I think it was 2006, I met him the first time at CCAD Atlanta uh, about Q induced craving. So once it is established, you are much more sensitive to see the drug. Think about the commercial, smell it, all the bakeries lined up on the street and chocolate affairs and all that kind of thing. Going to 7-Eleven, you almost get high just from the smell. Uh, so the cue-induced craving and the constant craving uh, makes this addiction the hardest to treat um, the, the toughest to be free from uh, screws up your brain and your body most, you know, because it's so insidious. 
And in many people's eyes, you can't be addicted to that stuff. That's what's so dangerous. But it's incredible dangerous. I've seen people be so sick, you can't believe it. I had one woman that drank, you know, a gallon of Coke, sugar-free Coke, a day when she came. It took three days to detox her. She got into migraines. She vomited. She was incredible sick, but she was in group. On the fourth day, she looks at my colleague and she said, who are you? And my colleague said, well, I'm Maud. I've been here with you for three days. She had a blackout, total blackout of three days from, you know, sugar-free Coke. So uh, you have to understand a lot about the body, a lot about the biochemistry to see all these layers. And that makes it very tricky. Okay, there's there's an important question um, that I've got to ask is... My understanding is that there there is a genetic propensity for addiction. Definitely. You've either got it or you don't. Is that correct? Or is is addiction a, a latent possibility for anyone given the appropriate trigger? It's very hard to answer because we don't have any really good studies. But if you have asked me before high fructose corn syrup came around, I would have said that it has to be a genetic proclivity. And I think that is a big part of it. But I think there are so many people that are addicted now. So, you know, there are so many around. You see what I mean? But also, I think that, you know, the food industry is making more and more insidious, dangerous foods. And I think that high fructose corn syrup, when that started coming around, what I've read, it came in a lab in Japan in 1971. Uh, And now, you know, it's put into everything. I think that that would be like putting cocaine into everything. I don't think that every person would be a cocaine addict, but they could be a harmful user. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, there has to be, I used to say, uh, you have to be born with a certain sensitivity. You don't inherit alcoholism or sugar addiction. You inherit a certain sensitivity. Right. And then the interesting thing, which, you know, I would like to to, uh, just, I would love to have possibility to study this, but it would be very hard. But has that sensitivity increased? I think so, because I think that malnutrition. Across the population, you mean? Yes, yes, because I think malnutrition has increased. And I think that's a big part of it. If you don't have enough, you know, nutrition in your brain, in your body, I think that very bad things can happen because then you get, you know, cravings. Uh, you you need to eat because your body is 50,000 years old genetically. It's going to say eat. And we were also, you know, when we were cavemen, we should eat a certain period during the year and we should look for sugar and fat to store. And now we have that everywhere. So there are some of those danger factors that if they add up, uh, you know, we are in bad trouble right now. Uh, But what I see when I work with people, and especially when I get them into recovery, and I meet them 10, 15, 20 years later, they are in recovery. They all have one thing in common, which I have too. We are highly sensitive people. 
But you know, to me, that's a superpower because yeah. to to be the Webb telescope is very sensitive, right? We can agree on that. It's not defect or bad. <laughs> Uh, but uh, and I learned when I was in my treatment for alcoholism, nineteen eighty-five. They said that alcoholics are more pain, light, and sound sensitive. Nobody talked about high sensitivity people at that time. So the interesting thing is, you know, that all my addicts in recovery are sensitive, very sensitive people. But they they have turned it into a very good thing into actually a superpower, not some defect which they thought before when they were on yeah. the drug. Yeah. But So I think it's very complex. There is a lot of factors anyone could study. It's not a simple, uh, simple problem. And, and Phil, I wish I could be maybe more specific. What is the drug here, the psychoactive substance? I think I pinpointed it pretty good. Uh, but it is complex. Uh, you know, yeah. Uh, if I had a I had a professor here in Sweden that uh, didn't like what I was doing, and he said, "Well, if sugar addiction existed, people would take a bag of sugar and pour it in their mouth." And I said, "This poor guy has never been in a kitchen, never been to a grocery store, never read a food label." You know, uh, but, but right. You know, People essentially are. And, uh, you know, but I think, uh, I, I, you know, what I was kind of getting at and you touched on it was, you know, um, we it's not as simple as just take the sugar out of the food because, you know, the lady you talked about that had the diet Coke addiction, uh, you know, um, there's no sugar in that anymore. There are sugar substitutes, but it's not as simple but as she started with sugar, sugar out. When she was yeah. a child. She was eating lots of sugar as a child. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I agree with you. I think, you know, I think processed food is a combination of, uh, you know, dangerous things and a a unique combination. And like you said, they the the food industry knows exactly what it's doing and uh, knows how to combine these things, because you're right. No one no one sits there and eats, you know, a bag of sugar with a spoon. No one, you know, eats salt with a spoon. but you combine, you start to combine these things in the right, uh, you know, in the right way. And then it, it's pretty interesting, you know, the, the sort of malnutrition component of it, because that's another effect of the processed food. It, it's devoid in, you know, nutrients. Um, and as much yeah. as they say, well, we fortify it, we put the vitamins in, you know, we know our bodies don't absorb that. Or, or can't use it. It's not in usable form in many instances. So you're right, we end up, you know, nutritionally uh, deplete. And so that's going to make your body's responses get more hungry, eat yeah. more because we need our nutrition. Yeah. Wow. But it's the same but, thing, you know, the modern processed food depletes hydrochloric acid. And without hydrochloric acid and enzymes, you don't break break down the good food like the meat, like the eggs, like the fish. So I'll say that again. Know. Say that again. <laughs> I, you just answered a question I've had for a long time, but I've made, I'm okay. probably not the only one. I remember when I was first, uh, I had a health situation 17, 18 years ago, and my, my naturopath gave me HCL. And I thought... Yeah. 
what the yeah. heck's going on here? I've, I've got, I came in to see you because I've got this awful stomach acid and you give me yeah. more acid. You yeah. just, just explain again, what happened here? Yeah. Um, I have taken so many people of protein pump inhibitors uh, that they've eaten for years, which totally ruins their whole stomach, horrible side effects, and put them hydrochloric acid and especially lipos, you know, one of the fat down breaking, uh, one of the enzymes that break down fat. And people think I'm nuts, but the stomach become really healthy and they start breaking down food and get good nutrition uptake. Because, you know, and we uh, just talking about, you know, all the gastric bypass surgery or all that, they have no hydrochloric acid. But these people, uh, of course, because of the way they were eating junk, you know, for a long time, they had reflux. They have, uh, thought they had gastritis. But that is the stomach, you know, when the stomach gets full of this food, it pushes the little hydrochloric acid you have up. So you think you have too much hydrochloric acid, but it is a sign that it is not enough. So it can't break down the food, right? So then you have to give people hydrochloric acid. And uh, that's some of the things I learned from integrative functional medicine many years ago. And it is very cheap, very simple to test if you need it or not. Takes three days. And, you know, it works wonders on people uh, in most cases. And you don't need it forever. Maybe uh, some people for three weeks, some for a couple of months until the body has, you know, redone the production because you eat good food. So that's what it is. That's just fascinating. We just, I, I, we just saw here in the last couple of weeks that uh, this Prilosec an over-the-counter drug proton pump and pro, proton pump inhibitor that's mm-hmm. been just dumped on the market. Uh, I know was just pulled off because uh, I can't remember what the particular part, causes cancer. Or, I mean, it's yeah. just it's just a nightmare. Yeah, um, it's very dangerous. But I've never had anybody explain it doesn't to me work the mechanism of yeah. why I was supplementing with HCL and it actually made my my severe heartburn go away. Yeah. Yeah. And this this is the reason too that people uh, become so sick when they go to tropical countries because you need a high level of hydrochloric acid to kill, you know, parasites and bugs and all kinds of stuff in a new environment where you eat. So it protects you. So people come home with, you know, all kinds of bug stomach problems. Because, you know, they didn't have hydrochloric acid when they went to this, you know. Because uh, they've been eating crap here yeah. in the, the yeah. developed world. Yeah. And as a result of eating crap, they have a, an insufficiency of HCL in their gut. Yeah. Oh, my God. With the, well, this is another one of those we could talk for hours and hours and hours. But obviously, we've got to cut it off. Um, yeah. What's the best way for folks to to find out more about what you do? and well, yeah, go to my website, bittensaddiction.com, uh, or they can find me by LinkedIn or Twitter, you know, uh, those are the places almost right now. Well, very and, good. We'll, uh, we'll put it on the show notes. Yeah, bittensaddiction.com. And uh, I don't work with clients anymore. I quit 2019 after thousands and thousands of clients since 93 because I trained professionals to work with this. So I have a whole 
a whole bunch of professionals that are trained in working like this. But people can email me on the website and, you know, ask for help. And I connect them with somebody that I think is appropriate for the particular type of problem with addiction. But mainly what I like to say, if anyone thinks they have a problem, they should definitely do the sugar diagnostic tool, because then you see your whole life story and you get all the consequences and you get a proper treatment plan. So that's where people should start, actually. I don't and is like that available? Is that available on the uh, website? Well, the people that are certified and trained, we have to be trained. We'll do in the that. diagnostic. Yeah, yeah. Diagnosis. yeah they, okay. It's yeah, it's a very specific interview for a total of three hours. Oh wow! Okay. So you you know it's no guesswork, uh, and then um, if anyone uh, like to work with this, you know, I have my two online trainings. It's on my website. If they for folks who want, who want to be involved in the treatment side, who actually want to help people. Yeah, they want to work with this. They want to train and work with these things. Yeah, they are welcome. Wow. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for uh, coming on. I think this is an issue that, you know, we need to talk more about. We need yeah. to acknowledge. Uh, so uh, it's been great uh, having you and uh, certainly encourage people to come learn more about your work. Very important stuff. All well, right. the same, and we we need to work together. Definitely, you, you need you. You know, I'm very very grateful that you take on addiction medicine with the speciality you have because we need each other dearly. Definitely. Yeah. Good. Well, I'm glad you guys got together. I'm really glad I got to sit in on this conversation, and wow. I'm going to see you. This in is, front of me now. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Stop, stop. This is uh, this is fantastic stuff. I just, I, I, you're you're putting all the pieces together for me, and it's just fantastic. Um, but we're gonna we're gonna call it. Um, thank you so much for being with us, Ben wow. Johnson. Um, this has been one of my. I think I'm gonna put this one in my top three um, interviews Ooh. that we've had over the last couple of years. I'm honored. Thank uh, you. Thank you for letting me share with Chris, with Chris Palmer and Thomas Seafried. Those three have you, you, the three of you have blown my mind. Um, I am just well. Thank you, thank you very much. This is the Stay Off My Operating Table podcast. Thank you for listening or watching. If you're on YouTube, uh, be sure to click and subscribe. Uh, visit Doctor Ovadia's website at ifixhearts.com. Visit uh, Bitten Johnson's website at bittensaddiction.com. We'll provide all that stuff in the show notes, so y'all don't have to uh, wreck the car while you're trying to write it down. And uh, we will talk to you next time. Chances are you wouldn't be listening to this podcast if you didn't need to change your life and get healthier. So take action right now. Book a call with Doctor Ovadia's team. One small step in the right direction is all it takes to get started. Contact us at ifixhearts.com slash talk. That's ifixhearts.com slash talk.